Welcome to the Cornerstone Truth New Creation Podcast. Each week we'll explore fundamental truths about the genuine love of Christ being manifest through His people, the Church. During these studies, we will discover that the sincere love of Christ flows from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. This is the goal of our instruction, and we are so thankful you're listening today. Good morning, everybody. Oh, you guys sound excited this morning. Must be too warm out there. Let me get hooked up for just a moment. A couple of announcements. And then uh, we're going to have some notes of encouragement. And then we have a guest speaker today, dear brother in Christ. I'm excited to introduce. And uh, and so uh, today, right after uh, morning assembly, very quick, we're going to have a, a pumpkin spice holiday bazaar meeting. And what we need to know is who's interested in participating and what part would you like to play in the event. Now, we don't know when that event's going to be, but we do know that the Pac-12 has canceled their fall uh, sports uh, schedule. So uh, the schedule's wide open. We usually work around when the Ducks are going to be away. And so uh, we have opportunity now to pick whatever uh, Saturday we want to do. And uh, there's several people already from the Springfield Chamber of Commerce that said they're excited about being involved. Uh, one of them, as you well know, is Christy Wells. And uh, she has a marketing background. She loves uh, participating. She went to Belarus with us uh, last year, and uh, she sold out. So uh, we have some reinforcements uh, down the road. So I hope that we can get together. And again, it's only going to take about 20 minutes, half an hour at the max. And I'm going to guess, uh, knowing the length of of our speaker's lesson, we should be able to get into the back the back room there at about 12, 15 or so, so or so, you got or so there, so and I love that or so. Uh, tonight, uh, it's it's supposed to get up to 99 degrees today, good the cloud covers here, maybe not, but uh, we're going to have an evening assembly out at the Compton's Homestead, and if you don't know where we live, we can give you our address, we'd love to have you, we'll have the coolers cranked on. We'll have the ice water and iced tea and whatever else you might need and little nibbles afterwards for a good fellowship. So hope to see you tonight. Six o'clock is when we will start. And as you know, we have begun to talk about um, what we've been doing really well in the last few years and what we could improve on. And also in light of uh, the present COVID um, crisis, question mark. Uh, also, too, uh, with the uh, interesting social dynamic that's going on, I think the church has great opportunity. You know, with every, with every challenge, there's a great opportunity. So I pray that you'll be able to make it out tonight to share your thoughts and ideas. Tomorrow, the uh, college age group will be meeting at 545 at the Compton Homestead, and Mrs. Compton's going to be cooking another amazing, awesome meal or I might be outside cooking burgers, probably is a better way to go. And uh, we are going to talk about the practical application of a transcendent faith. The practical application of a transcendent faith. Transcendent faith is to look beyond the present circumstance and to live for Christ regardless of the craziness going on around us. And I might suggest a, an idea. The police officers from Springfield and Eugene and state troopers from the local area and our deputies 
They're so busy with what is going on, they're working lots of overtime, right? Yeah, right, overtime, well, guess what? We have an opportunity to cut firewood for them. There's a gentleman that has a bunch of fir trees down and a bunch of oak trees down, and I think some of us have a skill set or at least a learned skill uh, of cutting up and splitting up firewood. I know someone who has a splitter that she might be willing to let us borrow so we don't die, right, Brad, so we don't die. And uh, you know what would be really great is to cut it, split it, and deliver it to say thank you for your service to us. What a great way, regardless of the craziness in the world, what a great way to express support and love. Amen? And I hope that you might be interested in doing that. Coming to a Saturday near you, all right? Coming up in the near future. I need to work out some details before we, we uh, uh, get that done. Wednesday night, God and Government, America's Godly Heritage. You know, the foundation for our country was built upon biblical principle. Lesson number seven of uh, God and Government has to do with that foundation. And I'm hoping that you can come and participate in that great lesson. You know, there's a lot of curriculum out there right now that's saying that Christopher Columbus was evil as the night is long. And our founding fathers were all evil, selfish businessmen and imperialists that wanted to take advantage of everybody. And George Washington was. You know, that's in the curriculum in schools today. That is wrong. Go back to the organic documents. The organic documents that were written by those men and those women who helped found our country. Just like we see who God is by his word, so we can see who those men and women were by their letters to each other, books, articles, papers that they wrote, we can see what their convictions were. They were men who believed in a sovereign God. They were men who were willing to give up everything, including their lives, to establish a country so that you and I could enjoy the blessings and the fruit of true temporal freedom. And so I pray that uh, if you can't make it out on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, it's going to be at the Parks House. They'll have their coolers on. Uh, and they have wonderful ice water, iced tea. I'm always, I get something there. It's always wonderful. And so I hope you can make it out. 7 o'clock, Parks Place. If you don't know where that's at, uh, ask uh, uh, the Parks and they'll let you know. Uh, let's see. We're, uh, any other announcements? Any other announcements? I'm already planning for the Christmas party and the New Year's Eve party. Time for us to get together and have fun. Right, Julie? I'm, I'm, I'm ready okay, right now. May we have a big old Thanksgiving dinner. Oh, we do that too, don't we? Okay. Thanksgiving dinner. So he said, are you doing anything coming up in the near future? Yeah, we are. <laughs> Cutting wood, pumpkin spice holiday bazaar, Thanksgiving, Christmas. Oh, and by the way, we're having family camp in February, just so you know. So, anybody want to know that we are? Yes, Mrs. Parks. We have ladies study starting on September 10th. At 7 o'clock. September 10th, 7 o'clock, ladies study. At my house, we're the Parks Place, Lady Study, September 10th, 7 o'clock at the Parks Place, Lady Study, men are excluded. Yeah, it's 
It's not for men. So gentlemen, don't even think. All right, here we go. Word of encouragement. The Pleasant Hill Saints, I am greatly encouraged by being in your quote-unquote presence. Wow, there you go. That's that you can give that to everybody later. Tamra, for being a such for such an awesome prayer warrior. Amen on that one. You know, whenever whenever uh Tamra bows the knee, man, I know that the devil is shaking in his boots. Can I get an amen on that one? It's the truth. If you want the devil to be rendered before you show up to the scene, ask Tamra to pray for you. It's amazing. In fact, I've had some almost Almost. That's a terrible thing. I've had supernatural things happen before I go into a Bible study because you were praying. God working miracles through us. Amen? Amen. Justine, for being a great example of a wife, a mom, and your heart of love. There you go. That's an awesome one. Amen. Bill Compton for staying the course, preaching the message even when it hurts. <laughs> for support to all the saints. Okay, hopefully I haven't been crying too loud lately. Uh, <laughs> Sharon Compton, Christ, light shines through you in wonderful ways. I appreciate all you do to build the body of Christ. What a sweet note and wonderful handwriting too. Wow, it's not mine, but I agree with that. Tamara D, you are a rock star today. It doesn't say that. I added that. You are a very sweet person, and I love getting hugs from you. All right. There you go. Good job. Hey, and I also have a shout-out. I have a shout-out to all those unsung heroes that do stuff around here that no one knows about. There's a lot of folks that do a lot of stuff around here that that no one knows about. Okay, and I'm going to start naming them every week. You're going, great. Well, I want to share with you that Jeff Sharon almost single-handedly has begun to restore this old building. Oh, I want to say almost single-handedly. I know there's others that he's called, right, Ken, to help, and I've helped a little bit and, and some others. But he but he has he has begun uh, slow but sure, analyzing the facility and starting from the ground, working up. He's painting the back of the building. And uh, if you're so inclined and interested in doing something like that with him, that would be awesome. But if you go in back of the back, and by the way, he's putting himself at risk. I wish he would call me when he's doing that. He's climbing up on a monster ladder. Anybody ever been on a monster ladder? Anybody ever been on a monster ladder when you're older and you're equilibrium? I don't do big ladders anymore. Maybe it's wisdom and old the wisdom of old age. Anyway, he's going to put, and he's already started, putting uh, a cap on the southwest corner. Now, if anybody knows anything about how the winter hits this thing, he's doing the right thing at the right time. And no one knew about it, but now you do. Praise God for those who work behind the scenes. Some folks want to have all the glamour, but the ones who are willing to be behind the scenes to make things happen, those are the guys really getting it done. All right, so I praise God for Jeff. Praise for those who have helped him uh, and for those who will help him. Here's the beautiful little flyer. Thanks, Kurt. 
for ladies Bible study September 10th, 7 o'clock at the uh, Parks Place. There you go. Any others? All right. Well, this isn't on yet, just so you know. <laughs> See, I am concerned for other speakers. I just forget when I'm supposed to do it. Uh, it gives me great pleasure to introduce to you Brad McKinney. But I have to share with you that uh, um, in introducing Brad, so you say, well, man, he's not very old in Christ. You know what? This man has invested himself in the last several years in building a man based upon biblical principle. And even though he did not know it was biblical principle, he obviously tried things that did not work. And when he found a principle that worked, he embraced it and he built it into his life as he relates as a husband to his wife, as a father to his kids, and then to those around him. And I was so blessed and fortunate to meet him at the right time when he was kind of in that search mode and I was at the right place at the right time. God orchestrated that. And he was sharing with me some of those principles that he had been searching out. And I said, there's a Bible verse for that. There's a Bible verse for that. And so our conversations turn from hunting and networking, internet, all that technical stuff that I had no clue about and I needed his help, to all of a sudden we were in study. And now he's a brother in Christ, lovely wife, sister in Christ. You make a great team. They make an awesome team. And their kids. <laughs> Eli. Eli has got a work ethic. He reminds me of my sons. Really proud of Eli. Hard, hard, hard worker. And, uh, you know, Nicole reminds me of my brother. My brother. Well, yeah, my brother, Andrew Compton. My son, Andrew Compton. True artist. Artist heart. He's really beautiful. Awesome. And so uh, I'm so thankful to introduce Brad this morning. And he's got a powerful message on how to forge the ever-present leader. Brethren, if you're a Christian, your life should provide leadership for those outside. Amen? Okay, so this message is for us. So let's bring him on, Brad McKinney. So when Bill asked me, well, first, the reason why all of you on Facebook sees the top of everybody's head is because this was adjusted to me this morning. So if you were on Facebook or you're going to see this on Facebook, that uh, would have cut me off like here, I think. I think Bill tried to get up a stack of books, but that would have been quite awkward and not OSHA approved and all of that. Uh and I also think he wants me up here because I have to push the button, Bill. Uh, because I've strapped him with all of this technology, and he wants me to feel his pain. Yes. So. Yes. Wow. I, I appreciate everybody coming out today. It's interesting. When I was getting ready to come and speak, I was like, you know, there's not a lot of. It should be fine. Wow. There's a lot more people here today than I thought there was going to be. So that's fun. We'll, we'll, get, we'll, get, we'll get through it, though. 
So I, as Bill said, I'm fairly uh, young in my uh, journey in Christ. I was immersed in February with my lovely wife, uh, and for what six or seven months, maybe eight months, into being Christian. So uh, I have done a lot of study over the last couple of years with Bill and outside of with his guidance as far as learning more about how to fold these principles into my life. So today's speech is about forging a leader. And it's interesting, we had a Bible study a couple weeks back about uh, baptism of suffering. And it kind of resonated with me because I think we all suffer in some fashion through our life. I've done a lot of study on suffering from what's happened in past wars and different struggles from different cultures from around the world and what those folks deal with on a, a daily basis. And we are blessed to live here in America and have the freedoms that we have. Um, but it resonated with me with suffering because I'm going to talk a little bit about kind of my story as far as getting to this point. But I want just to acknowledge that I know we all have those struggles in our life. My struggles aren't unique. They're unique to me. Um, but I think if I share the things that I've learned along the way, that you can think about the struggles that you're going through and, and how that principle or those principles that I'm going to talk about here in a little bit can, can better help you kind of work through the things that you're working through. So I don't stand up here to talk about my struggles in my life to say I'm unique. I just want to resonate and say that I'm just talking about what I learned from my struggles and kind of the path that I took to overcome those things, and I'm still overcoming those things on a daily basis. Uh, Bill talked in Bible study this morning, just as we caught right at the end of it about I'm only human, um, and he's right. I mean, we are only human, but we uh, we don't we don't have to use that as an excuse, and we'll get to that later in the speech. So I have three propositions today. Uh, well, the first one is the struggle, the things that I've gone through that have brought me to this point in life. Well, not at this point, the point before I started to change, and that'd be proposition two, is the things that I learned how to change those things. And then proposition three would be redemption, meeting with Bill, and accepting Christ. So let's talk about struggle. You know, most of my life, younger years, I would say from a young kid through my 20s, was a struggle. And I think we can maybe all relate to making bad and poor decisions when we're young. <laughs> uh, I spent the majority of my life as a selfish person and self-destructing. And I'm not talking about things like drugs or alcohol. Um, I'm talking about the need to be right and arrogance. I didn't choose to go the alcohol and drug route. Uh, my dad had some struggles with that, and he, fortunately enough, got through all of that at a time that helped me as far as know that I didn't want to do that, but didn't really have that much of an impact on my life. But when I was born, I was born with clinical anxiety. And I don't know if anybody in here struggles with anxiety, but several times throughout my life, I've had to uh, have medication to kind of deal with that. And there's a lot of negative annotations about that sort of struggle and the things that you do to overcome that. Um, and it got bad enough at some points where I did need help as far as getting through that stuff. Um, but I've had this since I was really young, really young. Uh, and some of you heard part of this that we're at G4 Summit, but I'm gonna add a little story because 
I went back and listened to this and realized that there was a huge chunk because of I was nervous that I missed. So we're going to add that in here today. So a little uh, different than what you all heard. So when I was younger, I was very fearful. I was a fearful kid. And I remember my dad rode a motorcycle. And as a, you know, five, six-year-old kid with your brother behind dad, one on front, one behind, um, that's kind of scary, right? Like driving 55, 60. I mean, that's being nice. I mean, he drove really fast. That was really, really scary. And I remember uh, that I would pee my pants, and then it would get on him, and he would get really angry because, uh, you know, you know, I peed my pants. And so I remember before it would, we would start and leave the babysitter's house, he would tell me, you better not pee on me. It was very difficult. So I bring that up because when you have struggles of anxiety and fear and that sort of thing. I grew up in a society or in the time, the 80s, early 80s, late 70s, where uh, mental health wasn't a thing. Um, not a lot of people treated it as something that we need to deal with. It was more of a uh, kind of man up or uh, shaming or yelling or, you know, corrective things that would happen. Um, but, you know, I I met a counselor way later. I mean, it was almost, I mean, it was later, earlier this year. And she said, you know, there's a lot of uh, resourcefulness that happens when you peed your pants in that moment because you knew that that was absolutely going to stop that motorcycle from going, right? It was going to pull over or something was going to stop. So it wasn't, it was like, wow, it wasn't a shameful moment, right? It, it really was that resourcefulness of, I'm really, really scared, and I had to do something to get over that. So we, we fast, kind of keep fast-forwarding through that. Um, I also had OCD, and I'm not talking about, like, the particularness of, you know, I've got to have everything straight or whatever. Uh, mine was fear-based, and I would, before I went to bed, I'd have to check the door to make sure it was locked. And that seems like a really easy thing, right? Like, Everyone in here goes to the door and makes sure that it's locked. Yeah. Right? But I would do it 20 times or 30 times. And my dad would get really mad, like, go to bed. And I would, like, sneak past the kitchen table to the back door and make sure it was locked. Um, because I was controlled by fear. Now, I'm, I know in the last conversation that we had at Guys Camp was, or G4 Summit, was that show Monk where that guy, you know, he flipped the thing and he was like really super germ a I think I could have gone down that road. I could have been that person had I not started kind of changing my behavior. And so I hid it. I, I just kind of buried it down deep inside to where no one knew it was there, which is really difficult because that when you have anxiety, that just makes it bigger and bigger and bigger. And then at some point later on down the road, you have to deal with that. But I didn't have to deal with it when I was 7, 8, 10, 15, 20. I dealt with that when maybe those behaviors have manifested into something that is a little bit different. Um, the other thing about my younger years is I didn't read very well. When I was in 8th grade, I read at a 3rd grade level. And it was because it was really hard didn't like reading. I, and 
Not a lot of people believe me, but I never actually read a textbook until my junior year in college. I got by by listening and paying attention, and I would get C's and C minuses and D's. Not because I didn't like I wanted to, I did I wanted to do well, but I just couldn't. So that's kind of the struggle of my younger years. And because I wasn't, I felt I wasn't very smart, quote unquote smart, because I couldn't read very well, I spent a lot of time trying to prove that I was smart. I wouldn't read, which is really interesting. I would listen and I would listen to things. I would um, listen to information. And I would really practice. Not like practice and um, like I'm going to do my homework. But I would try to get better at it so I could prove that I was smart and go in and answer the questions. And that's kind of, it's not, it's not technical. I mean, that's studying and you, you're learning. But the destructive part of that is you're proving that you're right. And you're proving and you're becoming more and more arrogant, right? And the more success that you have over that period of time, the more ingrained that behavior becomes. So when we look at college... I thought I was going to go through college, get out of college, and make a really great living, right? I was hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. I picked the, the the engineering, that thing that would really prove to people that I was smart. Um, but I found out really quick, maybe I wasn't as smart as I thought. So like when you win all the time, it's really difficult to find that when you fail at something, you quit instead of dealing with that failure. So I quit. I quit engineering. I went to business. Accounting. I was really terrible at accounting. So I quit that and I went to finance. I found something. I, I went down until I found the thing that I was okay at and I could get through and get my degree. All while in college, our family started a business and we did really, really well to begin with. We made a lot of money. It was a trucking company. We went from Five trucks to 25 trucks in a very short period of time. It was more money than we'd ever seen. And we didn't do very well with that money. We spent it on stupid things. <laughs> so, um, like, reflecting back on that, I look and ask myself, why didn't you change then? And it's because we were successful. And when you're successful, success is a really easy place to hide. Like, you can behave poorly and still be successful. And no one's coming back at you telling you that you're doing things wrong because things are going well. But maybe it's not. We made some bad decisions in that company. It was about the time when we were going through the housing crisis. And a lot of our business was moving freight that had to do with building houses. And that shrank and shrank and shrank. And that's where that arrogance piece came in was... We're just going to make this work. We're going to force it to work. But that was not smart. We should have made different decisions and pivoted and you know went a different direction. But we didn't. We held on. And that company just shrank from 25 right back to 24 and then finally went out of business. Because we wouldn't make good decisions. Because we were thinking we were right. We were arrogant about it. And we just let it shrink. We didn't make different decisions. We didn't do anything different. And it, it died. 
So during this college period of my life, I'm sorry, I'm fast forwarding through this. Uh, my last conversation was about an hour and trying to kind of speed it up a little bit. So I was really trying to prove I was the smartest person in the room. It's hard. I mean, that's hard. I don't know. That moved right into my careers outside of college. I was a supervisor of farmer's insurance and claims. Uh, and when that got really, really hard, I quit because it wasn't going the way I wanted it to go. That was that arrogance came in. I was right. They were wrong. Raw. <laughs> uh, I went to uh, another position in sales and worked really hard at selling insurance. Way too long in that area saying that I hate sales. Sales is terrible in my life. I mean, people. some people are really good at it. I was not. <laughs> but I hung in there as long as I could. And we just, you know, finances kept going, going, going. Um, I did a lot of fitting in behavior where, you know, when people were doing things, maybe complaining about things or talking bad about others or maybe uh, behaviors like cursing and um, bad-mouthing upper leadership about their decisions, like not taking accountability for myself and my results. <clears throat> Later on down the road, I uh, was doing in State Farm. I was going to be a State Farm agent. Got scared, applied for another job, lost my contract. Right? I mean, you see the pattern here, like self-destructive, because I thought I was right, and that arrogance creeped in, and I would make the stupid decisions that would sabotage and sabotage and sabotage. And it wasn't me; it was everyone else in the world. Right? But obviously, I wasn't wrong. Here comes. The catalyst. And the one that hasn't heard this part of the speech. So, <laughs> you might be having a conversation later. <laughs> but one day, Melinda said, you know, this isn't working. Your behavior is not working. And she didn't want to be with me anymore. That's tough. That's really tough. You know what I didn't know, though, is I knew behavior change is hard. And I asked her to give me some time because I'm not going to be able to change tomorrow. I can't change things that I've done for 25 years in a day. And I'm just lucky that she was like, all right, we'll see what happens. <laughs> I mean, maybe she didn't believe that I was going to work hard to change. Or maybe she saw something that was like, mm, I'll give it a little bit more time. So what I do? Kind of on this journey of self-development. If I'm the problem, I need to change something. But I didn't know what to change. So I read a lot of books. A lot of books. <laughs> From John Maxwell to Tony Robbins to, I mean, just... If you can think of a really successful author, I probably have read their book. Interesting about self-development is, well, let's back up. When you don't have a direction in self-development and you're just reading everything, there's some really crazy rabbit holes that you can go down. Like, you can learn how to manipulate people really easily, just depending on what books and techniques and that stuff that you read, and I read those 
books. Found out really quickly that that didn't feel good. That wasn't a really good thing to do. But as I learned more, my behavior changed a little, a little bit, at least enough that showed Melinda that I may be worthy enough to kind of stick around. Um, but no matter how much I read or applied or did, there's always something missing. Every time. Something. As I changed, I learned some interesting things and some patterns developed. And we're going to get how all of this kind of ties in down the road with Melinda and everything in the next proposition. So uh, obviously it, it worked because she's sitting right over here and she is my best friend today. So um, the change, the change was significant, but it happened over like a decade. So you ever tried to change, like watch something on this point and then you see something at this point, you're like, that's totally different. But when you're in it, it's, I don't feel anything happening, but then all of a sudden, wow, I'm a different person. It's kind of what happened along the way, and I came up with 10 things, 10 principles, and this might be a good spot for notes if you're taking notes. If not, um, I'm sorry, I didn't bring the note sheet. Sorry. <laughs> Bill's way better at this pre-planning thing than I am. Uh, but before we get there, there's one overarching principle, and I'm going to ask a question of a couple of people in the audience. There's too many to go to everyone. At G4 Summit, we had everyone talk. But I'm just going to pick out a couple of folks. Sorry if I call on you and you didn't raise your hand. I can ask for volunteers uh, first, but I would like to hear from some kids, though, first. Sorry, Nicole. Because I know you. And it's I want to hear your opinion. So... My question is, and this is going to kind of lead into Proposition 2, which is that change. What is a behavior that a leader does? So you see as a good, like a good leader, what behavior do they do? Listens to everyone. So Nicole says a good leader listens to everybody. Any other kids? Any, anybody under the age of 18 want to answer that question of what, what you're not under the age of 18 uh, answer that question of what behavior does a good leader do okay. take an account of what everybody wants and and what else I'm sorry I didn't catch the last part Make everybody happy. Kind of tend to the needs of everybody, not just single out people. So let's go 18 to 29. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Melissa Parks. <laughs> Any, anybody particularly want to answer that question? I'll make a couple more. Ryan? Not expect anything more than what they're willing to do themselves. That's a good one. A good leader recognizes the potential that each individual has to be asked to do something to help them. 
Nice. So uh, find the potential in each individual and help them cultivate that potential into something greater. All right, those that are over 29. Just a couple. And you can't have answered these questions at G4 Summit because you know the punchline here, and that's not fair. Uh, Ken's pointing at Justine. Oh. Oh. Oh, Jake. Leads by example. Perfect. All right. Admit your mistakes and, and learn from them and, and help others try not to make the same mistakes. Admit mistakes and learn from them and try to help others not make those mistakes. That's a good one. Mistakes are hard to admit. Some of us hold on to those way too long. <laughs> All right. Anybody else before I uh, go down the punchline here? All right. So... These are all great things, and they have one overarching principle behind them. And the word is influence. The behavior of a leader influences others. And all those things that we heard does that. Bad, I mean, we can see bad leaders influence their teams. Not very well, and likely not in a positive manner. So we can influence in a lot of different ways. We can influence people in a lot of the things that we heard today are in, in a positive manner. We're gonna get, we're gonna help people get to that end goal by collaborating and working together. Or we're gonna influence those people through behaviors using our authority. Do it because I said so. Like that's gonna get people to do what you want but are they going to quit early or not do the best possible job to get the best result? So I've got 10 things here and Bill set me up for 12.15. So we will <laughs> we'll go through these quickly. Okay. So uh, if we're trying to influence people, and we're trying to do it in a positive manner. We want to do that through building relationships. And all these things that we've talked about here are that. Listening to others, admitting our mistakes. Helping people achieve their full potential. Like if we were working for those leaders or we were had those leaders leading our country, like wouldn't we be in a way different place? So let's, let's go through the 10. The 10, number one, stop complaining. Complaining doesn't do anything helpful at all. I gave a talk uh, when we were doing the pit training about building our values, our beliefs, because our beliefs drive our behavior. So if we're spending a lot of time complaining on things, then we're just solidifying our behavior through negativity. So if I told you not to think about a pink elephant, every one of you just thought about a pink elephant. So if you complain and you're thinking about negative things, those things are entering your mind and they're shaping your values, which are shaping your behavior. So Eli, he races BMX. And right before every race, we talk about 
I try to check in with him on what are the things that he's thinking about that he's afraid of. And he tells me, and I'm like, all right, well, what do you want to have happen? And we go through this visualization about how he wants the outcome to be for the race. When he doesn't do that, you can see a significant difference in his performance. When he thinks about what he doesn't want versus what he thinks about what he wants, his performance changes. And that's true with all of us. If we're focusing on the negativity, we're not getting to that place that we want. So the very first one, stop complaining and focus on what you want. Number two, I got a little pushback at G4 Summit from this one, so we'll see. This one fundamentally changed me as a person. It's my fault. And there's a lot of information out there about extreme ownership or taking ownership or taking responsibility for things. And this is my version of that. I am where I am in my life based on the decisions that I've made along the way. If I'm in an argument with somebody, it's because I got there through decisions that I made, not because they're being difficult. Right? If I take ownership of my part and my responsibility in that argument or where I am in my life, and I just say it's my fault, doesn't that put me in a position to have to do something about it? I now have to change my behavior to get something different. If I don't change my behavior, I'm going to get the same thing or we're going to or I'm going to prove that I'm right. I spent too much time in my life trying to prove that I'm right. And so this is my version of getting out of that cycle of being right. Is I'm here because of the decisions that I've made. I listened to um, Will Smith has an interesting talk about fault versus responsibility. It's not my fault if someone else behaves a certain way and causes me some sort of challenge in my life. But it is my responsibility to deal with that. So number two, it's my fault. Take responsibility for my actions. If I had to put like these in sequential order, that's my number one. And I put it as number two, which is kind of weird. But um, that's my number one. My number two, and I got to push back on this one too, which was really interesting. Focus on what works and what doesn't work. Not what is right and wrong. If I focus on what's right and wrong, I position myself. And I have to, like, really work hard to solidify that position. But if I focus on what works and what doesn't work, and this is what where the kind of the pushback came, is focusing on good and evil. It still What works and what doesn't work still fits into that. It doesn't work to focus on what is evil. My life deteriorates over time. But if I focus on what is good, then that works. So it's still, the principle is still sound, is what, what works and what doesn't work. That way, when I, I know that getting into an argument with Melinda doesn't work, I could, I mean, I could be positioned well, I could know in my mind that I'm right, but in every argument that I get in with my wife, I lose 100% of the time, not because of the content being right or wrong, I challenged her in a position, and she was made to defend that. And at the end of it, nobody wins. Like, we sit in bed. Right? Like, that, 
that happens. Like how, how much time do we waste trying to prove that our position was correct when honestly it's all about perspective. So when I get into an argument, I lose that, that what works and what doesn't work. Just think through the decisions that you make along the way, right? We can even do it on our teams or the people that we, we lead. Using my position or my authority to get people to do something doesn't work. Building relationships works. That way, when I ask people to do things, they're like, yeah, and then they give me their best effort. Number four, this is the one I struggle with the most. We're going to go back to the beginning of, I spent a lot of time wanting to be the smartest person in the room. Smartest person in the room doesn't listen. We talk a lot. So this is number four. Listen, don't speak. I worked this one so long. Sometimes I feel people want to hear my opinion. They don't. You know, I have this little game that I play. If I want to give my opinion, I wait 15 seconds. By the time that 15 seconds goes, someone else has put their opinion in. My opinion doesn't matter. It doesn't add any more value to that conversation. And you know what? I get the feeling of, huh, maybe... Letting others talk is a good thing to do. So that's that's the one I struggle with the most. I actually actively have to not speak. And it's really hard sometimes. Number five is probably my favorite. Because it was my favorite, like one of my favorite principles to learn. Um, changing my behavior gets a different outcome in the world. And the reason why it was my favorite one to learn is because when I was learning this, I was training my dog. And I read a book by Caesar Milan about dog training. And dog training is absolutely based on nonverbal communication. If I do something, dog does something. If I do something, dog does something. And while doing that, it opened my eyes to understand that if I change my behavior, the world changes. If I show up with a really great attitude to work, People around me behave differently. If I go in grumpy, people behave differently. <laughs> so I, I learned this from dog training, but it is absolutely applies to our everyday choice of how we show up in this world. If I read my Bible every day and I start manifesting the character of Christ in the world, the world is going to behave differently. Now I think of Jeff as a police officer. How you show up to a call dictates how that call is going to go. When I was in social work, absolutely, when I knocked on the door, hi, I'm with child welfare, right? <laughs> it went differently than you know, knocking on the door, just having some concerns and having a conversation. All right, that was number five, changing my behavior to get a different outcome. Number six, say yes to my family. Now, working, you get tired, exhausted. At the end of the day, you're like, oh, I just need a break, right? But a couple years, or let's say a couple years, probably a year and a half ago, I made the decision to say yes. When my kids ask me to do something, I say yes. When my wife asks me to do something, I say yes. Even when I'm tired. Now, I will admit, I fall down on that sometimes. But my aspiration is to say yes. Because I feel like love is spelled T-I-M-E. Time I spend with my kids right now when they're 15 and 13 
is going to pay dividends when they're 20 to 25, right? If my kids don't know who I am and we don't build that relationship now at 20 and 25 and I'm trying to be that mentor, it's going to be like, eh, whatever, dude. <laughs> so, number six, say yes to my family. Seven kind of plays into what I talked about earlier, focus on what works and what doesn't work. If I get into an argument, I lose. My goal is to build relationships with people, not argue with them. I come from uh, many years in customer service. Claims representative, child welfare investigator. Today I work for one of the agencies that are really not having a good show in the news about benefits. Um, people are angry. We show up to those conversations and prove to them that we're right. The law supports me, right? But I don't know what motivates them. That's my job. My job is to learn what motivates them to get where they are so I can better help and serve them and help them solve their problems. Come with options, not with demands. So if I get into an argument, I lose. Number eight, think about unintended consequences of our decisions. You make decisions every day. The unintended consequences of me saying yes to my kids and Melinda is my relationships get better and down the road, I'm going to be able to lean on them when times get tough in my life. If I damage that relationship by not saying yes or not helping them in ways, when I need help, I'm going to be alone and that's going to be difficult. Just think through the unintended consequences of the decisions that we make. Is it hot in here? <laughs> or is it just me? <laughs> All right, number uh, nine, do the little things. I'm sorry. Ah, see? I'm sweating up here. Do the little things. So this is sort of a, a, a private, and it's not private anymore. The people on Facebook are going to know, and everyone in the room is going to know. But... Gosh, about six months ago, I thought I was going to do an experiment. And anybody know what like OneNote is? That little note thing. It's like a micro. It's like a note thing that you can note and share notes. And uh, I pitched it to Melinda as we're going to be able to, uh, you know, share the grocery list. Like if you think of something, I think it's going to put on, and then we'll have it when we get to the store. But then I had an idea. Like, what if I put love notes in there to my wife? I wonder how long it would take her to find those. It didn't take her very long. <laughs> she found those pretty quick. And you know what? Now, when we write those, I enjoy reading the things that she writes. Because it supports that we're building our relationship. And I know she enjoys the things that I write because of the same thing. It turned from a half, like, it wasn't a half to, it was never a half but now it's an anticipation, right? Like, ooh, I wonder what she wrote in the morning, right? Like, and then we read those things, and it kind of gets the day started off well. So, doing the little things is always good because it. I mean, that's the the five love languages book. How does how do you want to feel loved? And when your significant other or, or the people you're trying to build relationships with feel that love in the way that they want to, that relationship just gets super strong. 
we're getting close. All right, uh, number 10, change the information that I consume or that you consume. I don't watch the news actively. I worked in an industry in internet marketing where the entire premise of it was to get people to click on things so people made money. If you don't understand that the things that we click on on the internet are just so someone else can make a buck, then now's the time to understand that. The things that sell are negative and fear. They get more clicks, and more clicks make money. So I don't watch the news. I pay attention. I listen. The things that scroll across my feed, I'm like, oh, I wonder if that's true. And then I look at it and try to, and okay. But I don't pine over it. I don't, I don't want to get involved in the drama of other people making money. So I change what I consume. Every day I drive to work and I listen to podcasts that are inspirational. I listen to YouTube content that's inspirational. I listen to books on tape. And now for the last seven-ish months, um, I've been listening to the Bible every morning on my way to work. I just audible, downloaded the, and I listened to the New Testament, I think since February, I've listened to the New Testament four times. And not to pat myself on the back, but you know, once that stuff starts getting in there, you really change that upper echelon of what your value system is. You see what manifesting the behavior of Christ looks like over and over and over and over again. And that drives your behavior. I'd rather behave that way than how the media wants me to behave. So just quickly, the 10, stop complaining. Two, it's my fault. Three, focus on what works and what doesn't work. Four, listen, don't speak. Five, change my behavior to get a different outcome. Six, say yes to my family. Seven, I lose I lose if there's an argument. Eight, think about unintended consequences of decisions. Nine, do the little things. Ten, change the information I consume. Proposition three in five minutes. I should be able to do that. <laughs> so uh, a year and a half ago, I met in a coffee shop with Bill. Because he needed some help with the website. In that meeting, we spent five minutes talking about a website. We spent 35 minutes talking about hunting. And we both looked at our watch after like another hour of talking about principles of leadership. Saying, man, we really got to go. <laughs> we met several times and we constantly meet today once a week because Bill keeps showing up. <laughs> I mean, I want Bill to show up. I mean, <laughs> but he's constant. He's a consistent positive influence in studying and learning and building our faith. I appreciate that. We look at Christ as a transformational leader. If you go through the Bible, New Testament, and look at how Christ behaved, didn't really complain, took responsibility for his actions, he focused on what worked and what didn't work, he lived a good life, he listened to others, he changed 
his and when he changed his behavior like look at every conversation he had when people were challenging him he changed how he communicated and they changed they couldn't rebut what he was saying because of how he presented the information it wasn't i'm right he spoke in a way that was in the middle he wasn't like i'm right but try to prove that this doesn't work. He said yes to his disciples. Never really got in an argument. I mean, he came in and was like, mm, I don't think you're behaving right, right? Turns over the tables in the church saying, get out of, this, out of my father's house, right? He did the little things. And he met people where they were. Here's the scripture part. <laughs> Finally got there. All right, so he showed up where people were. So if we look at John 4, starting in chapter 5 of the Samaritan woman. She was coming to get water. He was coming to... Samaria, and he was tired. I'm just going to read a little bit of this. So he came to the city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel and ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than, the, than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank to it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but who drinks of the water that I will give, will, uh, give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him as a well of water springing up to the eternal life. So I, I read that because he was tired. Like he was like, you can just see the picture of him sitting by the well, just exhausted by the journey. And yet before getting water, he asked and was trying to save the Samaritan woman that being a Jew shouldn't have been talking to. Right? We talk about transformation, showing up where people are. And I think when we look at, you know, me sitting in a coffee shop, Bill saying, there's a Bible verse for that, right? And I'm thinking through the principles that I've learned, that I've applied, and we're having conversations about that. And he's circling around saying, there's a Bible verse for that. There's a Bible verse for that. Got me thinking about, wow, maybe I should look into the Bible. <laughs> uh, because I'm, I'm different than probably those that he's met for with in the past is I don't have experience. My grandma brought me to church when I was young, but 
I never read the Bible. We talked about this. I never read a book really until the end of my college years. And then I read a lot. So there was no room for reading the Bible because I didn't like to read. So I didn't know anything about it. And as he's telling me, there's a Bible verse for that. There's a Bible verse for that. I never thought of the Bible as something that could teach me how to live a better life. So my favorite, my favorite verse, and it ties, I think, all of this together in how building a relationship with Melinda, how changing my behavior to get to kind of where I am today. When I read this verse, and it's uh, Matthew 4, 17, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, is that's what we need to do. We need to change our minds so we change our behavior. And we do that by reading the scriptures and letting that guide our behavior. So in conclusion, if we focus on our behavior, we focus on building our relationships and keeping trust, we will have influence as a leader and will show up and manifest the character of Christ and help people get to where we are. a great lesson. You know what I really appreciate about what I really appreciate about Brad is he is that that biblical standard of an honest and good heart. You know, ever since I've known Brad and we've known each other for what, five years or so, he's always been really honest about himself and, and if he can do it and, and he evaluates himself. You know, a lot of people aren't willing to do that. They put on a bravado, a show. And I just really appreciate Brad because he's that honest and he's that good heart. And, you know, it's the honest and good heart that's going to really make a difference in the kingdom. If you know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about the four, the four soils, the four hearts. And uh, both he and Melinda and his family, they're just precious and, and special that way. So I'm very thankful. So uh, just a real quick announcement. Uh, if you can stay, it's going to be a very quick meeting. Uh, if we can get out of here by uh, 12.45, that would be awesome. That's kind of, I'm going to drive that meeting real quick. So if you can stay for the Pumpkin Spice Holiday Bazaar, you know, I know you like to do a little bit of fellowship and afterwards, that's cool. But as soon as we can get everybody in there as quickly as possible, we'll get that done and we'll get ready to change the world. And I'll tell you what, Belarus is, is beautiful and ripe for the harvest. Uh, there is a freedom movement going on in Belarus like you cannot believe. And uh, their, their, their protests are peaceful. They really are. And they're powerful. The country is, there's a wave coming over that country. It's awesome. And they want freedom. And guess what? Who can bring them that freedom? The Pumpkin Spice Holiday Bazaar is one of the ways that we're going to help get that done. So anyway, thank you very much, Brad. It was awesome. Let's give it up for Brad again. And we'll see you all tonight at the Compton Homestead, nice and cool at uh, 6 o'clock. Thank you very much. Don't forget, what did Jesus say? He said to go. go. Let's stand. Get all excited. Go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is King.
Get outside and go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is King. Get all excited and go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is King. Jesus Christ is still the King of Kings. King of Kings. All right, let's go do it. Thanks, Brad. Thanks once again for listening. To download today's lesson plan or find out more about Cornerstone Truth Podcast and our church, please go to www.cornerstonetruth.org or email us at thecornerstonetruth at gmail.com. Have a blessed week.